reaching from way down here. Yeah. Yeah. From way down here. Welcome to Thread, a podcast designed to explore God's story and lead you into a full life in Christ. Thank you for joining us in this conversation, co-hosted by myself, Hannah D'Souza, and Dr. David Pochter. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Thread. So last episode, we began with some updates, and Dave and I talked about the app and some merch, which is exciting. And I heard, Dave, you have some more information to share with everyone. I do have some more information. First of all, there's a person on this podcast that's not you and I. So I just <laughs> I'm gonna get them, don't worry. TJ's here. <laughs> okay, we'll get to TJ. All right. So first we need to talk about that. Yeah, I remember in our last episode we were talking about the app and talking about this new merch. And I said, I don't know where it is. <laughs> our program director has let me know where it is. <laughs> so good. it's on the website. So you can go to threadpodcast.org. And there's going to be some various offerings if you want to pick up something for Thread to show off your podcast, your favorite podcast, because we know this is now (laughs) your favorite podcast. It's ours. So that's good. (laughs) So we are continuing our series, God's People Birthed. And last week we talked about Jacob's wrestling match and we focused on Genesis 32. And today's episode is on the Joseph story, and we've actually titled it Joseph and Judah, which we will get into later as to why. But yes, as Dave said, I haven't forgotten TJ. Um, We are very excited to have you join us um, today. Thank you for taking the time to join us. And maybe we could begin with just hearing a bit about yourself. Well, thank you both for having me. I'm really excited to be on the podcast. And a little about me, I served as a youth and family minister for about 10 years in New York and New Jersey. And uh, then God opened some doors and I was able to pursue some academic study with a concentration in the Old Testament. So I have a Master's of Divinity from Lincoln Christian Seminary, a Master's of Theology from Princeton Theological Seminary, and I'm currently working on a PhD at Baylor University. And over the last few years, wouldn't you know it, my research is centered on the Joseph story. (laughs) Yes, that's why we have TJ leading today's discussion. So it's not every day that you have a PhD student studying the Joseph narrative. And it's going to be exciting. So today will be different for our listeners. We're going to have TJ lead this conversation and Hannah and I are just going to help out by reading scriptures and asking questions, but we really wanted TJ to teach this one for us this Mm. week. Yeah, so we left our episode last week with Jacob having wrestled with this divine being and being given the name Israel. And of course, he will have 12 sons, which will make up the 12 tribes of Israel. Actually, a fun fact I didn't tell you both. When I was 14, I was in the West End production of Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. So that's like the British equivalent of Broadway. So I know all the names of the song, the sons from those songs. But Joe, I know Judah wow. is the fourth son and Joseph is, I think, the 11th son. So I guess that's a good question I wanted to open with is how we end up with them as these significant figures in the narrative. They're not the firstborn, but they end up carrying, I guess, the story. 
What do you make of that? <laughs> right. It's a, it's a great question because it's not what you would expect. And to kind of understand what's going on, Jacob, like you said, Hannah, he has 12 sons from four different women. And his first, the first three sons that are born to him, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, they lost Jacob's favor. And that's in the chapters that you should go read in the Bible, but that we didn't cover <laughs> in the podcast. <laughs> and so in order to, to know, like to understand, so the first three are out. And that brings us to Judah. So Judah is kind of the next eldest, the next logical choice to take kind of this firstborn status up. But if you remember, when Jacob was searching for a wife, he had a favorite. Mm -hmm. He really, really wanted to marry Rachel. And so even though he worked for Rachel, he was given Leah. And Joseph is kid number 11, but he is the firstborn of his favorite wife, Rachel. Okay, so you said something, though, that I want to just maybe you could explain a little bit. You said the first three are out. <laughs> I mean, you just like they're, they're just gone. out. They're gone. <laughs> so they're gone. So, you know, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, if we go in birth order, there are mm -hmm. things that happen behind the scenes that made them unfavorable mm -hmm. to their father. And so yeah. that's what you mean by go back and read the backstory and you can figure that out. But it's part of what leads us to Judah, number four, and then Rachel's firstborn, Joseph, right. number 11. And so we end up here where we hit the, the Joseph story. Really, it's, it's the story of Jacob's sons. And so this contest between who's going to take over this firstborn status, is it going to be Judah? Is it going to be Joseph? Becomes a big deal. I mean, what's at stake is whoever is the, takes this firstborn status is going to determine the leadership of the family, the future of the family. There's a lot of material wealth that's going to be involved in being passed down that you get if, if you're the firstborn. And so all of these are going to play into uh, why there is conflict. Hmm. And I think it's important to, to look at each of their, to look at Joseph's story and to look at Judah's story separately to see how they converge, how they connect with one another, to understand what God is doing, how God is going to fulfill the promises that he gave to, to Abraham. And you'll see it, it's really going to take both of them, both of God working through both of them to get the kind of happy ending that God desires mm. or plans for the sons of Israel. So when we look back at this meta-narrative, we are, as you say, reminded of these promises to Abraham. We talked about those seven promises. We'll put that slide back up so those watching online can see it. But so what I hear you saying here, TJ, is that there are other important stories, but these two stories in particular, the story of Joseph and the story of Judah, carry the narrative as a thread, could we say a thread? <laughs> for our I thread say we podcast. could say a thread. It in we could say a thread. <laughs> so, yeah. So we actually have two threads that kind of emerge from this narrative that really tie into the big picture, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, with it, we see how God uses them because of who they are. We, we see a lot of their character 
qualities, their spirituality come out. But you also see times where God uses them in spite of who they are and how that brings this kind of God working in partnership with us, but also God working in grace with us as well. And lucky for us, the the narrative kind of has a built-in thermometer, so to speak, mm. as to how we know if the fate of Israel is in a good place or if the fate of Israel is maybe in danger of dying. And we can see this throughout the story when we look at, at Jacob and what it says about Jacob. When Jacob is sick, when he feels like he's got one foot in the grave, the promises to Abraham are in danger of dying. But when Jacob is restored to good health, the family reaches a new level of harmony and peace. You see that his, his uh, strength is returned to him. I never uh, saw that until you started explaining that here for our podcast preparation. But to, to look at, because that's the thing we're always tempted with, right? We're tempted to distrust the promises of God. Sometimes things are going well, sometimes they're not going well. And I love that you bring that out, TJ, that Jacob's health actually becomes that thermometer barometer for what's going on in the test of those promises. So very cool. Yeah. And I think it, it speaks to the reality of life is sometimes we just want to go from healthy to healthy. We want to only have good times. But we do see in this story how there are times of health, there are times of unhealth as a family, and uh, how God can work through that to still bring about mm. his glory. TJ, I really like that you bring out this idea that we can see the threat to the promises because a lot of times we feel like God makes these promises and sometimes we trust them, sometimes we don't. And so we see that with the health of Jacob. Very cool. Thank you for sharing that with us. So really, we could look at these two stories, as we've said, with these two threads. Maybe we have you unpack these two threads for us. If we looked at this first thread with Judah, maybe we could pick it up from there. Yeah, that, that sounds great. So picking it up with Judah, Judah is the, as we said, the fourth born son. But for some reason, all of his brothers want to follow his lead. He's got this, this charisma to him. Uh, certainly ambitious. And, you know, there's that, again, that dynamic of, is he going to take the lead or is Joseph going to take the lead? And so when we meet him in chapter 37, there's this kind of behind the scenes desire to remove an obstacle that's in his way. And we see because, and we'll talk a little bit about Joseph later in his thread, but we see that all of the brothers hate Joseph. And so they want to get rid of him. And when they're out shepherding the flock, Joseph comes to go and meet Judah and his brothers. And they see this as a perfect opportunity to get all of the things that they desire. And so they, they first, they want to kill Joseph, and then they throw him into a pit. And while he's there, Judah comes up with this brilliant plan. Joseph is sitting in the pit and is crying out. And he says, well, maybe we shouldn't kill Joseph. What if we just sell him into slavery? It really does speak to the callousness of Judah's heart, that here he is, he could just throw his brother into a pit, thinking, you know, 
okay, we're going to leave him to die of either starvation or dehydration or something of, of, of that nature. And then see it as an opportunity to make some money on the side as well while getting what he desires. And that's, that's really where we see Judas' character, Judas' thread, end and go in chapter 37. It's, in terms of kind of the story, it, I know Genesis 38 feels like a disruption of kind of the narrative in some ways, because we've just left Joseph, as you said, sold into slavery. And then 39 is back in Egypt with Potiphar's, with Potiphar's household. But then 38 is this really bizarre encounter with Judah and Tamar. What do you think is that the place of that chapter in this story? Yeah, I, I would say that this, that chapter 38 is, I think, fundamental. It's, it's foundational for understanding the kind of change or transformation that's going to under, that Judah is going to undergo. And so when we, we pick up in, in chapter 38, we see that Judah, he gets married, he has three sons, and his oldest son marries a woman named Tamar. And his eldest son ends up dying. And in Israelite culture, one of the ways that they made sure that widows were taken care of and that if a son dies, that their line continues, is that they marry the next eldest son. And so Tamar marries the next eldest son, but he dies as well. And so now you've got Judah, he's down two sons, and he knows that he's supposed to promise his third son to, to Tamar, but he's fearful. He's like, this has happened twice. What if this happens again? I can't, I can't lose my third son, my, my final son. And there he is. So he's, he's, he's kind of got these thoughts that she's a, a black widow of, of sorts. And so when his final son grows up, Tamar realizes that She's, she's never going to get married to him. It's not going to work out the way that she hopes. So she has to go and then trick Judah into providing her with what he promised. And she goes and she gets pregnant. Now, Judah has no idea how Tamar got pregnant. He doesn't know who he got pregnant from. And as soon as he finds out, he brings back the old Judah again, and he immediately wants to kill her. He wants to burn her to death. That is until he finds out that he's actually the father. Yeah, can you explain so, that? So that's an interesting dynamic. I mean, how does he doesn't know who she got pregnant by, and then he finds out he's the father. <laughs> What's going on there? In order to, I guess, get what she was promised and not owed, uh, she dresses up in disguise and uh, sleeps with Judah, uh, and he doesn't realize mm. it's her the whole time. So when he finally, when this big reveal happens uh, towards the end of chapter 38, Judah recognizes that he's wrong. He says that, he, call, he says, Tamar, is, she is more righteous than I am. And, you know, so we end up seeing you know, on one level, we see that same unrighteous Judah come out trying to solve these solve his problems through killing, through getting things, getting obstacles out of his way. And then on the other side, we see just just 
ever, ever so slightly, you know, this, this shift where he realizes, hey, I did, I did do wrong. Tamar is, you know, she is in the right here. And even though Judah was unrighteous in this whole encounter, Tamar has twins by Judah. And one of those twins, wouldn't you know it, the younger one goes on to be the ancestor of King David. And as we know, that lineage eventually leads us into the ancestry mm. of Jesus. I, I love your kind of analysis of this chapter. I think Tamar is such an unconventional heroine. But yeah, you're right. She's so crucial to even Judah's development, his character development, his spirituality shifting. And I love that she is gets to be in the lineage of, of Christ. And that's very inspiring. So you mentioned with the twins, kind of the younger is favored over the older. And that's a theme I think we're seeing throughout Genesis, whether it was Abel and Cain from the very beginning, Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau. Um, what are we to make of kind of that trend? Because it doesn't just seem to be favored by parental fingers, but even by God in some cases, it's an interesting trope. Yeah, it's interesting because sometimes the parents on the other side, they're like, no, wait, you see this in the Joseph story. You're favoring the wrong son. What are you doing? How is this working out? But it is a, it is a common motif throughout the Bible, especially in Genesis and in the ancient Near East, where uh, the younger son is favored. You'll see this right when we get to the story of David. David is the youngest son, and he's still the one that's favored. Um, and I think it, it speaks a lot to, one, God working in unexpected ways, and two, that, that none of us can boast. We have this undeserved favor in the eyes of God. And I think, you know, we can maybe say, well, it's unfair that God is maybe favoring this person or that person, but the favored person really just becomes a vehicle by which God uses to bless all of those around them. Yeah, that's so interesting because when you look at what should happen culturally and then what God actually does, it's often different. And I think that's one of the neat things that we see in these stories, right? We also see that in sin, and I know you've, you've kind of brought this out, sometimes they do it in spite of the actions of these characters. So we actually see this child is born through deception. Judah has a child through deception, and yet God still uses that, which is one of the important storylines that we also see develop. Yeah, and in that, that deception piece is... I think something that we might wrestle with a little bit on a on a moral level, uh, but it's important to realize that the text only speaks positively of Tamar, and we're we're going to end up in a place where when we get even to the Exodus story, there's going to be righteous deceivers again as they allow for, they deceive Pharaoh so that the children of Israel can continue to be born, the midwives. So. It certainly is a, a common theme that, that we see in Scripture, but it, it does take some wrestling with. So, I guess continuing from where we left off with, with Judas' thread. So, Judas had, you know, he's gone through these periods so far where we've seen him act 
pretty much unrighteously throughout all that we've that we've known, all that we've seen of him as a character. And then some time goes by, and there is a famine that takes place uh, in the land of Canaan, where he and his family are are living. And this is kind of also the famine in the land is kind of a, a again like a God working behind the scenes, God being in control of the weather of nature and things like that. So you see God kind of prodding the story forward behind the scenes. And so because there's a there, because there's a famine, they hear that there is food in Egypt. So they head down to Egypt. This is Judah and. Uh, all of the brothers except for Benjamin. And when they get to Egypt, they encounter a mysterious man. And this mysterious man calls them, you know, calls Judah, calls the brothers spies, and he throws them in prison temporarily. And so Judah and his brothers are sitting in prison. They cry out at different times, why is this happening? They also admit they know sort of why it's happening. He's like, if only we didn't do the wicked thing that we did to our brother Joseph, this wouldn't have happened to us. And, and so eventually they are released from prison. And this mysterious man says, hey, if you want to prove to me that you're not spies, the next time you come, you have to bring your youngest brother. You have to bring Benjamin with you. And so Judah and his brothers return home, but they have to leave Simeon behind in prison. And you know, they're hoping, okay, well maybe we don't have to make this trip again even though not all of them are are with them. But unfortunately, the famine gets worse. And what ends up happening is Reuben tries to convince his father Jacob and I think this is important. Jacob does not want Benjamin to go anywhere. Benjamin is under lock and key because Benjamin is the, the child born of his old age. He's Joseph's brother. That means he's the other son born from his favorite wife. And when Reuben goes to try to convince, to convince J Jacob to let him go, Jacob just says no. He just shuts him down. But Judah does what Reuben can't. And Judah uses his leadership talents. And we're going to see in the, in the scripture in a second that there's this change that's occurring that, that is going to help allow Jacob to say, yes, you can take Benjamin with you. And so, Hannah, can you read Genesis mm, yeah. 43, 8? Then Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy along with me, and we will go at once, so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. Well, so we actually see mm. Judah have a big change here, right? It seems like up to this point, he's been out for himself. So what's happening? Yeah. I think that's so true. So on one level, you've got Judah who recognizes, hey, if we don't do this, if we don't go, go down to Egypt, we're all going to die. Like we need food. But then on, on another level, Judah has already lost two sons. 
And so he knows what it's like to lose a son now. And mm. unfortunately, he knows what it's like to cause someone to lose a son because mm. it was his actions that caused his father to mm. lose Joseph. Yeah, I forgot yeah, that's that. a great point. <laughs> so why don't we, I think that's a great place to shift over the storyline because now we've got this engagement with Joseph. So I think that's a story we're more familiar with. So this mm -hmm. has been really good to unpack the Judas story. I don't think I usually read the story through, we talked about hermeneutical lenses in the last episode, through the lens of Judah's narrative. Really encouraging to see you bring that out, TJ. So let's unpack what's going on in the second thread with Joseph. All right, yeah. Let's pick up the, the second thread with Joseph. So we meet Je Joseph back in Genesis 37, and... He is a young man of 17 years old when the story starts. Some people like to think that he's bratty, <laughs> annoying, unwise, possibly naive. Mm. I mean, he's a 17-year-old, <laughs> right? What do you expect? Right. Fair enough. So, <laughs> he's, he's, he, but he's also the favored son of Jacob. Only the favoritism here doesn't help him. It actually hurts mm. him. And it makes his brothers have this animosity towards him right? Nobody likes not being the favorite. And so Joseph has two dreams, a series of dreams. And in the ancient Near Eastern world, dreams were understood as a vehicle for the divine to be able to communicate with, with humanity. And so he tells his, his first dream to the family. They hate him for it. And Joseph clearly doesn't learn his lesson because he tells them the <laughs> second one anyway and it only intensifies their anger. And you know, this is where we pick up with them throwing him in the pit, throw, sending him to Egypt. And really, it, it just seems like at every turn, things are not going Joseph's way. Even though he's had these dreams from God, he's been hated by his brothers, stripped down, thrown in a pit, sold, taken to Egypt. And then when he gets to Egypt, he's falsely accused of sleeping with his master's wife and thrown into prison. Yeah, so when you talk about that first thread with Judah sinning against Tamar, this really seems to be this different storyline. Now we have Joseph, who's righteous towards Potiphar's wife, even though she's the one making advances. Is there anything there about those contrasts? Yeah, I mean, I think that's another reason why we see that kind of that little aside with Judah in chapter 38 is it puts the two in direct contrast with one another. Mm. As Judah is unrighteous, Joseph is righteous in this way. And we end up seeing this kind of seesawing that goes on throughout Joseph's life. Joseph is favored. He's given a token of that favoritism, whether it's uh, like his coat that he's wearing, or a scarf of some kind, or he's dressed up in Pharaoh's best. And then all of a sudden, the thing that he's given that signifies his status is stripped away from him, and the cycle begins again. But what I think is important to realize is even through all the highs and the lows, Joseph acts righteously and gives glory to God in all circumstances. And that is, that is the huge contrast to, to Judah. Yeah, and yet that did not prevent his suffering. 
his trials. You know, Hannah and I have talked a lot about the role that suffering and trials play. So even though he acted correctly, he still went through a lot of difficult times. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, thankfully we see that this suffering leads us in a, in the, the fulfillment of these Abrahamic promises. So eventually, Joseph is honored. He becomes second in Egypt only to Pharaoh. And you'd think the story should end there. Joseph's got his happy ending, right? But the journey and the spiritual testing for Joseph isn't over when he's on top. A famine has come upon the land. And that famine, as we mentioned before, is what brings those thread of Joseph and his families back together. And he's going to have to face his brothers for the first mm -hmm. time since they sold him into slavery. Yeah, you got to wonder what's going on in his head. I mean, after processing that for so many years, how does he feel right as he's standing in front of them? Yeah, I mean, is he covered with grief? Is he anxious? Is he, you know, does he know, oh, I've got the, the power now, so we'll see how this is going to play out. And those are things we can speculate about, but things that we, we seem to be pretty sure that are going through Joseph's mind is, did they kill Benjamin too? They mm. got rid of me. Did they get rid of my younger brother? And then he's also wondering, well, what's going on with, with my dad? Is, is Jacob still alive? It's interesting how God puts us back in positions where we have to re-encounter our previous wounds. So here we see Joseph actually forced to re-engage these difficult things of his past. And I think that's really interesting what's happening here. Yeah. I think sometimes, right, we have to, 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 God brings us back to those places of pain, places of hurt. And sometimes we have to go through them in order to reach this promise, this destination that God has in mind. But that doesn't mean that, right, Joseph is, is, is re he's facing his brothers, but he's not the same man that he was when he was 17 years old. He's not stupid. He's not naive. And so Joseph decides, hey, I'm going to keep my options open. And he doesn't reveal himself. And he is, surprise, surprise, he was that mysterious Egyptian man all along. And so he, he goes and he, he says, okay, well, let's, let's see what's going on in my brother's heart and my brother's lives. And he throws his brothers into prison. He hears their cries, hears them admit that they wronged him. And again, you see another striking contrast between what the brothers did to him and what Joseph is doing, right? When Joseph cried out from the pit, his brother sat and ate callously. But when the brothers are sitting there crying from prison, crying from their pit, Joseph cries along with them. Wow, that definitely reveals his spiritual life. I mean, the empathy and the compassion is moving. Yeah, I'm, I think there's probably a whole lot of feelings that are, that are coming out from Joseph. Empathy, compassion, you know, sadness, just trying to get through all of it. And so he's in this place now where he's starting to see hints of, okay, maybe my brothers aren't the same people that they were when I left them. 
but he still wants to know what happened to his dad and to, to his brother, Benjamin. And so again, he keeps Simeon in prison. And maybe his logic with that is, you know, they'll have to come back if I keep one of them. That, you know, that, that way Benjamin will return. I'll get to see if he's alive or not. And, you know, I, then he can try to make his play from there, you know, depending on whether or not he thinks he needs to save Benjamin from them or if Benjamin is, is safe already. And so the brothers return home. They come back with Benjamin. And Joseph again employs a little bit of trickery where he puts his silver cup into Benjamin's pack and then goes out and accuses the brothers of stealing from him. And uh, he says, well, yeah, the person who the cup is found will, will die. And this is really where Judah just surprises him and shocks him out of nowhere. You know, we read that scripture before that Judah said, hey, if anything happens to Benjamin, I'll offer my life instead. And it's one thing to say that, but it's another thing for it to come to it. And Judah lives up to his word. And he offers his life for Benjamin's. It is a radical transformation. And maybe, you know, who knows, if there was a better way to prove to Joseph that Judah is a different man than he was all those years ago. I mean, mm. what, a, what a Christ-like, right? We might think of it that way, Christ-like image of offering ourselves mm. in the place of another. And that, you know, that ultimately is what prompts Joseph to reveal himself and say, I'm Joseph, the brother that you sold into slavery all those years ago. So the word gets back right to dad after this, and his dad's health really recovers, which goes back to your point on the thermometer, right? So all of a sudden now the, the family's healing, and then we see dad gets healthy again. I mean, fascinating that you brought that up, and we see that happening throughout the story over and over again. So yeah. these two threads really end in a great place. We have the story of Judah now reconciled with the story of Joseph. So in some ways there's victory on both sides, right? It could have gone very differently. Yeah, the story could have gone very differently. Um, you know, we see on, on one of them, we see Judah. Judah is transformed by his faults, by his failures, by experiencing the pain of losing a child, right? That very thing that he caused his father to go through. And then on the other side, we see Joseph's journey. He's rejected by his family, right? By his own community. He's mistreated, yet God saw things differently. And, you know, right, I think that's important for us to recognize. Just because we're not recognized, or even if we're hated by man, God can see. God can have a different plan in mind. And that's really right? All of this is going to, to lead up to this kind of culmination verse. I think one of the most famous verses in the Joseph story, which is Genesis 50, 20. Mm. And Hannah, can you read that? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. 
Yeah, I love I love this verse. And actually, I think it speaks a lot to what we talked about in last week's episode, the idea of how wounds might not be caused by God, but can be used by him to bring about transformation, which we've seen in Joseph's life. You see that it brings kind of this, like throughout the whole story, how God preserves the people, the sons of Jacob. And he even blesses the foreign nation, Egypt, through Joseph. And so we see that, again, this, this little bit of the promise of Abraham of all, all nations will be blessed through you, culminating here. Well, and that story is going to become an important thread. How Egypt is blessed is ultimately being set up for Israel 430 years after the slavery that's to come, right? Mm-hmm. And so that really becomes an important thread. Judah is an important thread, ancestor of David and the kings. We see that kind of Abrahamic promise, number six, we talked about ultimately Jesus. Joseph becomes an important thread, certainly to the storyline, but also to the northern kingdom. And there's just a lot here. I mean, I appreciate you helping us with the story, TJ, and bringing out all that's going on in this very brief treatment of these stories. But from a spirituality perspective, it also gives us a lot to think about. We see a lot with the family dynamics here. I mean, there's definitely a concept of you reap what you sow. And even the idea of generational blessings and curses, which we see starting to play out, will, is, is being introduced here. We see mm-hmm. God's co-regency. Hannah and I have talked a lot about that. God's intent and his co-regency, him desiring to help us to fulfill his purposes on earth. We also see imagery that just starts popping out. I mean, the role that slavery will play, this concept of the you know blood and the robe. I mean, I was just thinking about this when I was reading this story. His robe, J- Joseph's robe when he was 17 was stripped from him. And then J- Jesus himself will take off his outer garments in John 13. But then he gets his robe stripped from him at the cross and just kind of that, how that plays out. The role that the pit plays or prison, um, promised land. I mean, there's just, there's so many things that we start seeing introduced in these stories that play out. Uh-huh. So TJ, thank you, thank you, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule as a PhD student to sit with us and at least to entertain <laughs> us about two threads here today. Uh-huh. So we're really grateful for your help. So Hannah, can you remind us what's happening with our next episodes? Yeah. I think we have two more, right, that are going to finish mm-hmm. off yes. this series. So now series. next we're going to be looking at Moses. I think the next two episodes are Moses. Moses in Egypt and then Moses in the wilderness. So that we have that to look forward to. Yeah. But thank you, TJ. This was enlightening. We do. <laughs> thank you all. Thank you for joining this Thread Conversation. We're more than a podcast. Check out threadpodcast.org for more immersive content. Though I'm waiting on here, I get a better view of this boundless world.